Overdrive. Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that panders to the world of cars and transport. I'm David Brown and in this program we have news stories including the new car sales continue to slip, ending Melbourne's bike share system and VW and others invest in new technology to keep you informed and entertained while you're in the car. We travel to Singapore and look at how a benevolent but tough government runs transport Does your car mean more to you than just transport? Has it been with you? Has it been with you and your family through thick and thin? Rob Fraser gives a personal answer. And Brian Smith joins us again for some quirky news. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. Or you can go to our Facebook site, Overdrive City. So let's start the program with the news. New car sales recorded another slump in August, sidelining hopes that the previous month's more moderate dip signalled a turning point. Total sales for August 2019 came in at 85,600 units, which is a drop of 10.1% over the 95,200 cars sold in August 2018. Kia was the only brand to increase sales over the same month in 2018. The Age reports that the Melbourne Bike Share Scheme, or MBS, now costs $2 million per year and it will be terminated in December, after nearly 10 years of operation. Each bike is only used once per day on average. Commentators say the only surprising aspect of the Victorian government's decision is that it took so long. They say it was evident from the outset in 2010 that the scheme would be a white elephant yet successive governments from both sides of politics let it continue. But why did it fail? There are a number of possible explanations. Australia's mandatory helmet law. Although free helmets were eventually made available, the requirement to access a helmet opposes a barrier on casual users and tourists. Melbourne's busy city centre roads and lack of cycling-friendly infrastructure deters prospective riders, most of whom aren't used to cycling in traffic. Rich supply of alternative modes. The relatively small area covered by MBS is well serviced by trams and trains. Much of it is walkable. And the pricing was aimed at local users rather than visitors and tourists. The scheme was initially designed to encourage short public transport trips for Melbournians via a pricing structure that discouraged longer trips preferred by tourists. The Volkswagen Group has taken a minority stake in Serial Technologies, a company that specialises in holographic display technology. The move will allow the German automaker to further develop 3D imagery to be used in in in-car technology. Serial is experimenting with heads-up displays with augmented reality technology. With computing power increasing and display technologies improving each year, automakers are experimenting with innovative new interfaces which make operating a vehicle safer and easier. And as cars acquire higher degrees of automation, drivers and passengers are likely to spend more time using infotainment-related in-car features. 
While the car handles the driving, Jaguar Land Rover is creating in-car technology that will project 3D images in the line of sight. The technology would be used to project augmented reality directions and warnings into your field of view, avoiding the need to take your eyes off the road. When vehicles become fully autonomous, Jaguar says the system could transform a car into a mobile cinema, projecting 3D movies to keep you occupied while it whisks you to your destination. Jaguar isn't the only company conceiving ways to keep us entertained once cars are fully automated. Tesla is adding games and apps that will keep drivers busy while their cars are charging and will eventually provide entertainment on the move as well. Audi, meanwhile, is developing an in-car 3D platform called Holoride, which allows passengers to enjoy a gaming experience that factors in the car's movements. This should help combat motion sickness, which could be a serious problem for in-car entertainment. Hyundai has developed a new prototype on-board electric scooter. The company plans to enable first and last mile mobility through integrating the scooter with future Hyundai and Kia vehicles. When mounted on a vehicle, the scooter is charged automatically using electricity produced while driving, ensuring that the user can complete their journey seamlessly. The latest version of the foldable e-scooter features a 10.5 AH lithium battery. This enables the scooter to achieve a top speed of 20 km per hour and is sufficient to power the scooter for around 20 km on a single charge. The ongoing efforts to provide customers with last-mile transportation aligns with trends highlighted in research data by global consultancy McKinsey. It showed that the last-mile mobility market in the US, Europe and China is expected to grow to 500 billion US dollars by 2030. In the UK, an average speed camera system that was originally developed following complaints of road racing has been made permanent. The camera system on the A10 in Hertfordshire measures average speed over a set distance and has been paid for entirely by traffic fines. A similar system is used in New South Wales but for trucks and not cars. The Road Safety Fund uses money generated from motorists who have committed driving offences and have been ordered to pay court costs following prosecution or who have attended speed awareness courses. Since the cameras have been installed, hundreds of motorists have been fined for exceeding 70 miles per hour. That's about 113 kilometers per hour. That's the national highway speed limit in the UK. And that has been the news. When the first Suzuki Vitara came out back in 1988, it introduced a competent four-wheel drive into a smaller vehicle segment. David Brown sees if the latest model still fits that image. The Suzuki Vitara is not what it used to be, but it might be more of what you want. Like many in the market, it has evolved from a four-wheel drive to an SUV that is well-suited for city driving. I drove the new 1.4-litre turbo, which is a preferable performer to the non-turbo, especially with its extra torque. The engine sounded a bit noisy from rest, but once it got its head, the tone was a bit sportier. The new model has a nicer dash and better technology. With a five-year warranty, a non-turbo is currently $24,000 drive away, while top-of-the-range all-grip is $34,000 plus on-roads. This is Overdrive across Australia.
Well, last week I was in Singapore for the 16th Threadbow International Conference on Competition and Ownership in Land Passenger Transport. I did deliver a paper, but that's not what I want to talk about at the moment. Having spent a little time again in Singapore, haven't been there for quite some time, it's a wonderfully interesting city on which to reflect. And who better to do that than the world traveller himself, our good friend, mostly from the news, but from other interviews as well, and that's David Campbell, who joins me on the line now. G'day, David. G'day. How's it all going? Thank you for that introduction. Very kind of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a man of the world, and business has taken you all over the place. I guess you've visited Singapore quite a number of times. Look, I tell you what, Singapore is one of my favourite cities. I know that there's, uh, you know, lots of discussion about, you know, whether it's a culturally the best place in Asia, and it's probably not because it's so modern, and some people say it's very clinical, but... Uh, I love it for its efficiency, and that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today. I spoke to some French people who were at the conference, and uh, they came from Europe and found that Singapore was rather manufactured in its looks. It doesn't have that glorious depth of history about it, does it? No, absolutely right. And I mean, if you took the Singapore skyline, I mean, you could make that any modern city in the world or, you know, in the United States or Europe. Um, and there's quite a bit of difference culturally between Singapore and, say, its most competitive rival in Asia, which is probably Hong Kong, which has retained a lot of the original Asian culture. You enjoyed even the road corridors have an amount of work done on them to make them more pleasing. If you travel anywhere around Asia, the, you know your first impression really is you land at the airport, so you, you consider the efficiency of the airport, and Changi Airport and Singapore is one of the most efficient airports in the world. In fact, it's it's one airport of the, the year seven times in a row on a couple of international poles. But then as you go into the city, your ride from the airport is your first real experience. And many Asian cities, the, the ride from the airport to the CBD leaves a lot to be desired. But in Singapore, it's very efficient very lush. But the interesting thing was I heard the Minister of State, which includes transport and other things, he was the most eloquently spoken person. He didn't do buzzwords. But the irony is his father started out with the People's Action Party, PAP, who have ruled non-stop since 65. Uh, but he then got into opposition, and he's, this is the guy's father, was in exile for many years. The current minister is with the major party, of course, but that's not to say that they deify Lee Kuan Yew. I think they appreciated what he was, but they didn't deify it. The thing about it was he leads the ministry, but they are incredibly well-informed and intelligent in their approach. They seem to have more focus on doing what is long-term right than necessarily achieving short-term political popularity. You're absolutely right. I mean, Singapore is really one of the innovators in the world. And, you know, when you look at transport and, and you look, for example, at the, um, their, their congestion area, or, you know, we talk about congestion charging being something relatively new in places like London. Well, in Singapore, they've had it, I think, since 1975. Yeah. 
and they're about to replace it not just with a cordon charge, that is, if you go into the inner city and pass over the boundary, then you get a charge. They will replace it with a road user charge run by satellite, which will know where your car is at what time of day and where you're travelling and charge you accordingly. Every planning person I know thinks it's a great idea. Every politician in Australia thinks it's another tax, and so they won't go near it yet with electric vehicles and not getting the fuel tax, we're going to have to go to something else anyway. Singapore looked at it carefully, didn't rush. This is what the minister says. We don't rush unless it's an issue of safety. We consider it carefully and boom, then we go. You hear about things like their smart mobility 2030 vision and their predictive transport vision. They are really looking at a lot of things that many places it's really just started to be discussed. They're ahead of their time and they are wonderfully controlled in their interaction. They do interact with the public very closely. In fact, they're very proud of that. I asked the minister, he was saying how the engineers became even more involved in this process. I asked them if that was an epiphany for the engineers and he he stopped and looked at me rather, perhaps with a degree of angst and said... (laughs) I think epiphany is too strong a word. (laughs) (laughs) But I tell you, a lot of countries can take solace from just looking at what Singapore is doing. I mean, obviously not everything they're doing will be applicable to their particular market. They embrace it, but they don't embrace it just because it's technology. They embrace it because they've worked through what it can do, what it should do, and then they will manage it to make sure what it will do. It's a wonderful system. David, keep travelling because I want to keep talking to you about cities of the world. It's a lovely idea. Thank you for your time. Great to talk to you, David. And that's our newsman mainly, David Campbell, but also, of course, a roving correspondent for us here on Overdrive. This is Overdrive across Australia. Utes are an Australian icon and becoming even more popular every day. But what do you do when you want something just a bit bigger than the dual cab style, but not quite a huge truck? Rob Fraser tells us about another choice. Regular listeners will know that I am larger than the average bear at 190 centimetres tall and just a tad over 100 kilos. Well, a lot really. So what do I want in a ute when the normal range of utes just aren't big enough? I go for a Ram 1500, that's what. Here is a mid-sized ute that I can sit comfortably in the heated rear seats, have plenty of room in the front, and still have a huge tray for all of my gear. At a touch under $100,000 plus the usual costs, it's also actually pretty good value. Powered by the legendary 5.7 litre Hemi V8 that pumps out nearly 300 kilowatts of power, the Ram happily cruises along the freeway or outback roads. It can tow up to 4.5 tonnes and, given its size, is pretty economical. Worth mentioning is the fact that these utes start out at the factory in the USA as destined for Australia, factory built in right-hand drive. And let's face it, in this new world of electric cars, the Ram 1500 is just cool to drive as well. You're listening to Overdrive. Have you ever been scared or even angry when driving because the line markings are not clear? Well, the UK is applying new technology to identify when the lines become blurred, as David Brown reports. 
The UK Department of Transport has allocated just over $3.5 million to develop the most thorough understanding ever of the country's road markings. That might not sound a lot for the whole country, covering 155,000 kilometres of classified road, but they are using advanced artificial intelligence learning technology. They have over 160 million high-definition road images from their national databank, and they will use AI technology to identify the line marking quality. Good line marking is obviously important for safety and for clarity. It helps to distinguish whether you can park on the side of the road, overtake, or know how wide a lane is. Autonomous vehicles only make the matter more important. You're listening to Overdrive. In the last couple of weeks here on Overdrive, we've interviewed a few people who have a special feeling to the cars that they want. One was Melissa with a 1981 Daihatsu four-wheel drive, beautifully restored. They know nothing about cars. They just loved it. They bought it, and they're going to keep it for a long time. And the E-Type Jaguar, who only got to buy it because the lady who was selling her late husband's car that he loved actually enjoyed the company of Murray to buy it. So that's very important then that you can have a relationship perhaps. Let's talk to our friend Rob Fraser as to whether that really is a possibility. Can it go as far as a relationship with your car in some sense, Rob? Well, I don't know about a relationship, David, but it's certainly you do develop a closeness to them, that's for sure. They have been with you through thick and thin. Tell us about your vehicle. Oh, well, if you sort of cast your mind back to 2002, we, we needed a car at the time. We had a couple of young kids and we're looking around and wanted a four-wheel drive. And after a bit of searching, we decided on a Pajero Exceed. Good car, seven seats. We thought drive the kids around and all their friends and we can do a bit of touring in it. And it was it was quite comfortable at the time. And you have taken it far and wide? If you fast forward now to 2019, I've still got that same Pajero. My kids grew up with that car. They learnt to drive that car on the farm when they were 9 and 11. There's been so many times when it's been full of basketball teams and after-school runs and taking a bunch of friends out and to parties and so many holidays. But the car itself has also allowed the kids and I to experience travelling together. We've, we've been to Cape York up the Birdsville Track, Udnadatta, Stresleki, Gibb River Road, Tanamite Desert. We've we've climbed Big Red. We've explored the Undara Lava Tubes. You know, we've we've been to Coobapedi, Ayers Rock, Alice Springs. Been numerous trips to Noosa and to the snow. It's lived a life with us, that's for sure. Good grief! How many kilometres has it done? Well, it's now got two hundred and fifty thousand k's on it, or just a touch under. But I have to say, probably in the last eight years, it's only done about 40,000 k's, considering the fact that we've always got cars. It's sort of sat quietly at the side there and probably felt a bit neglected the last little while, I'd say. <laughs> you do have a relationship with it. You get a new car each week to drive as part of the testing program. Has there been a time when you've actually left a new car at home and taken the old faithful with you? Oh, look, over the years there's been a few, but particularly... This week I did exactly that. It, I mean, as it turned out, the allocation of cars between people worked out that I actually took this one and I chose to take the Bajero with me and give it a bit of a run and, you know, still see that it had what it takes to do what it needs to do. So I arrived up here, up at Elson Bay where I live, and the next morning I headed off to the beach at 5.30 for a sunrise 
oh, I guess you call it meditation session, took some photos of the car and just sat there and chilled out and thought, yeah, this, this car is certainly... It's, it's been a good vehicle for us. Can you look back at pictures over a wide range of your experiences and see the car in there? We've got pictures of it everywhere, on, you know, on, on, on top of Big Red, um, in Palm Valley, the tip of Cake York, everywhere. It's, it's, it's become more than transport. It's actually become part of the family, and there's been quite a lot of photos with it and the family all in together. It's like a puppy that comes along and you can't get rid of it. <laughs> you have a passion, though, for the sound of old diesels, don't you? David, as soon as I jumped into this, waited for the glow plugs to warm up, <laughs> started her up, took off, and within five minutes I was just I was feeling at home. I was, I was happy. I could hear that little diesel chug. It was, it was like I was heading up the Udnadatta track again. Do you miss some of the modern features? What's most obvious to you that this doesn't have that a modern car does? Two things. One, reversing camera, absolutely essential. And you find yourself looking down at the dash and thinking, where the hell's the camera? And um, Bluetooth. Ah, yes, of course. So uh, do you intend to keep it? That's a really good question. I've been thinking about selling it for a while now, probably about four or five years, and yet here I am still driving it. So ask me in another four or five years and we'll answer it then. <laughs> it's one option that may be considered in the fullness of time. Well, it is, yeah. Look, it, it served its purpose you know, for what it was meant to do and did it well. There's probably a, another vehicle now that would be more practical for me. But it does pull at the heartstrings a bit selling it. Rob, lovely to talk to you. And uh, I think you reflect a feeling that many other uh, of our listeners may appreciate along the way. Thanks again for your time. Thank you, David. That's Rob Fraser from Ozroma, O-Z-R-O-A-M-E-R dot com dot A-U that covers subjects of touring around and travelling the countryside and uh, some advice and some reflections as well. You're listening to Overdrive. Does a user-pay transport system really serve the whole community? David Brown has just presented a paper at a major international transport conference in Singapore that says we have to go beyond just making money. User pays sounds like a good way to run a transport system. But while private industry must make a profit, governments must ensure that those who are transport poor get the chance to access opportunities. With modern digital systems, companies can cherry-pick the best markets. They could, for example, give priority to a CEO who can afford a $100 toll just to get to lunch on time. But if he or she or you or I have a heart attack, the nurse may not be able to pay for priority to get to the emergency department on time. People with a disability, school children, or people in regional areas need to be considered on more than just how much money they can afford to pay. You're listening to Overdrive. It's Brian Smith to talk some quirky news. Good day, Brian. Good day, David. Talking about movement in a city, oh, there has been a recent trend of looking for and using tunnelling. Now, our good friend Elon Musk, so to speak, has a company called The Boring Company, which some feel is appropriately named, but it is indeed about drilling tunnels under, under the surface. And they have just held a competition where they had a Tesla going in a tunnel versus someone in the normal road conditions and traffic. 
and surprise, surprise, the tunnel person won. Uh, it was an extremely short tunnel, 1.8 kilometres long, and it went underneath their SpaceX headquarters in Hawthorne, California. So it really wasn't as indicative as it might be. And they said that the person in the tunnel saved, and I, I quote, a full, full is the word, three minutes and eight seconds compared to the one on the road surface. Brian, is this the sort of technology and surveys and analysis that you would like to see? Ah, David, the fix was in on this thing. So, I mean, look, let's let's face it. If you put one vehicle in a tunnel, and it's a tunnel designed for a single vehicle to travel along, one vehicle in that tunnel, it's going to be a fast movement compared with uh, vehicles on the surface. If you took all those vehicles on the surface and tried to put them through that same tunnel, it would be a very different result. Tesla's idea is that you, you drive your vehicle onto a sort of a, a, a platform and the vehicle is then lowered down and into the tunnel. And, of course, if anything stops in that tunnel, nothing else moves. This can only work really, and I think it's been designed this way, so that if it's Elon in his car, in his tunnel, bypassing the traffic, not for you and me. We have to stay on the surface. So all you have to do is pay an appropriate fee. Yes. Which means it will become for a very, very elite. Oh, well, it's all right. I mean, the one car managed to only drive at 204 kilometres an hour. <laughs> yes. While it was in the tunnel. So yep. not only are you going to have to be on your own, you're going to have to go at what I would normally call breakneck pace. Yeah, and of course, this, this whole idea came about because uh, Elon Musk tweeted in 2016. He said, traffic is driving me nuts. I'm going to build a tunnel boring machine and just start digging. So let's face it, it's really about him being inconvenienced by other people and wanting his own separate system. I believe he's actually got a contract to build a tunnel in Las Vegas, but it is a game typically of the style of Las Vegas that it will be I think they're just going to run normal cars down it, but I don't know if it's one or two lanes wide, that it's really just a short distance. It's a bit like a corridor or a walkway from one casino to another Yeah, that you can drive down the distance. And capacity is enormous. And, of course, if it's not a high capacity, then you've got to pay for it, and then you get only the very rich to pay for it. You may remember a colleague uh, made the comment to me one day I thought was brilliant that if in the future a CEO will be prepared to pay $100 to get to lunch on time, but if they have a heart attack, the nurse, who might be running late, <laughs> will not be able to get to the emergency ward. And, and I think that's an indication. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Got all the elements of social media with all the depth that that doesn't the imply. Depth, yes, the depth. <laughs> if you pardon the pun. And this has been Overdrive. I'd like to thank David Campbell, Brian Smith, Rob Fraser and Paul Just for their passionate commitment to this program. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au and previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. And there's our Facebook page, Overdrive City. 
I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening. <laughs>